What if I told you that there's a cure for chronic pain? Yes, for that pain you were told you would just have to manage. And what if I told you that that cure is already inside of you? Would you believe me? Welcome to the Let's Talk Mind Body Healing podcast, where we talk about how to truly alleviate chronic suffering. I'm your host, Felicia Jaramus, and I'm really pleased to be here with you for episode 11. And in this episode, I've got the most amazing, wonderful, incredible guest lined up, Rita LaBarbera. And Rita and I got on so well, and I think we could have spoken about this all day. So I've broken up the episode into two, so you get a bonus episode this month. Because we did speak for almost two hours. So there is almost two hours of content. And let me tell you, it's so worthwhile. Rita has such an in-depth knowledge of TMS and her experience is really incredible. So Rita experienced CRPS, interstitial cystitis, and a whole range of other manifestations of TMS. But CRPS really is the big one. It's nicknamed the suicide disease because of how severe the pain is and the risk of suicide to people who experience it. And it's not just pain, but also things like extreme color changes, temperature changes, swelling, edema or buildup of fluid. Uh, So Rita had bone marrow edema and Rita had all of those symptoms and more, which she will tell you about in the podcast but Rita overcame all of them through the TMS mind body world so again another example of the extreme things you can heal from using this approach the many manifestations of TMS the many things that your brain can do uh, in your body when you have repressed emotions or fear when that fight or flight system is activated overactivated and that you can heal you really truly can heal and we also talk a little bit about uh, Rita does some work coaching and she has some you know really profound experiences and yeah I won't talk too much I'll just let the episodes play I because I really really enjoyed these ones with Rita and I would love to at some point have Rita back so if you're listening Rita and you ever want to come back on let me know um yeah wonderful so I'll get into the episode but first my disclaimer it goes in and goes for about a minute and then away we'll go I am a provisional psychologist with my PhD or my doctorate in education, but I'm not a medical doctor. So all of the content that I provide about mind-body healing in any medium, including but not limited to this podcast and my social media channels, is for informational purposes only. No content provided by me is intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice. The purpose is to promote broad understanding and knowledge of various health topics. If you choose to use any information provided by me, you do so solely at your own risk. 
Always seek the guidance of your doctor or other qualified health professional with any questions you may have regarding your health or medical condition. Do not embark on a mind-body healing journey until you have the clearance from your healthcare practitioner to do so, until you have discussed how to apply mind-body healing to your own individual case. The methods discussed by guests on the show are not necessarily endorsed by me. Welcome to the Let's Talk Mind Body Healing podcast. I'm your host, Felicia Jaramus, and today I'm here with Rita. Is it La Barbara? Yes, perfect pronunciation. Oh, great. <laughs> it's, it's a hard name. It's a hard name, so don't worry. Oh, so it's mine. So I get it. People get me wrong all the time. And Rita has an incredible recovery story to share um, with us today. And so, Rita, I'm very excited to have you here. And it's a CRPS recovery story. It's my first one. I guess I'm always amazed by how many labels our medical model has for conditions that are all really just mind-body or TMS or neural circuit or whatever you want to call it. Anyway, so to get us started, Rita, can you introduce yourself to our listeners? Tell us a little bit about you. Sure. Um, So I'm so happy to be here with you, Felicia. I just wanted to start off by saying that I listened to your story and I was incredibly inspired and impressed um, by your story. I listened to on Eddie Lindenstein's podcast Mm. and for for such a young woman, you've really, you have a tremendous amount of wisdom. And so I was very impressed. It took me until my forties to learn certain lessons, but Yeah. So yes. Um, as far as, uh, yes, just to introduce myself. Um, I, I actually, uh, work as a mind body coach now. Um, mm-hmm. but before I started working as a coach, I, I myself suffered with many manifestations of TMS throughout my life. Um, and of course my most dramatic story culminated with, um, the label of CRPS, which is, as you mentioned, just another diagnostic label, completely meaningless, and you know, for the purpose of insurance billing. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, just to give a bit of context, um, uh, you know, after I'll give you some examples of other TMS um, um, forms that I, I experienced mm-hmm. after I was married, for example, I had interstitials, I was diagnosed with interstitial cystitis. And um, that was um, quite, quite awful. But at the time, Dr. Sarno was not really on my radar. Um, fortunately, it went away on its own, as many things do, which is something I should probably um, mention that, you know, many, many maladies go away just purely for we we have no idea why but they just go away so that's just Mm -hmm. one thing to consider um and then you know um after so I I was got married had children and after my younger son was uh diagnosed with autism I found myself in this devastating trajectory of just relentless stress and caretaking and advocating and and things just went from bad to worse and my son um he regressed he lost all of his words and um it it was a really uh, dark time in my life I felt really helpless and 
um, held hostage by the autism. And I, I kind of went into survival mode at the time. Um, and so, you know, I also began to, my self-image really took a, um, a downturn because I started to feel like, you know, an awful mother in many ways. And I started to repress um, a lot of unbearable and unacceptable emotions that were, were not aligned with my self-image as, as a good person and as a loving mom. And so I'm going to fast forward a little bit in time. And um, five years later, um, well, my son was about five years old, actually, um, I started developing mysterious leg pain in both legs. Mm-hmm. And um, this went on for a year and a half. Um, and I bounced around to, to different uh, PTs and, 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 and physicians and, and I was um, taking, um, I think I was taking up to eight tramadols a day. It was it was crazy. Tramadol is almost an opiate type of medication. <laughs> and, um, and so um, one day though, I was jolted by this memory of, um, in America, we have this radio show, this famous radio DJ, Howard Stern. Um, yeah. And I remembered Howard. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, um, I had been listening to Howard since I was 14 years old. So I, I remembered that he had dedicated one of his books to this doctor. And I, I remembered Howard talking about his, um, he had a really funny chapter in the book called King of Mental Illness. And it was all about his back pain. And so I remembered this, you know, doctor he had mentioned and I Googled it and I, I saw Dr. Sarno and I, I ordered healing back pain. And um, when that book came in the mail, it really, it was such a revelation, um, you know, like the classic tale I'm sure you've heard. I, I saw myself on every page of the book. I, I inhaled <laughs> the book. Um, and, um, you know, after a, about four months, I was one of those, uh, what they call book cure people. I had a book cure um, just from reading Healing Back Pain. Um, however, you know, sometimes as D- Dr. Sarna would often say, there's more work to be done. And so in my case, um, my brain created a new diversion. Um, and this time my brain upped the ante and it all started with, um, I had pain in my right foot and my big toe. I thought I sprained my toe. Um, I went to the podiatrist. I had cortisone shots. I, I it was really strange. And then within um about just a few weeks all of the sensations i had in my right foot did a mirror image and spread to the left foot so you you see right there that that's the the brain involvement right there and then yes exactly exactly especially the mirror the mirror image Mm. is a is a big um it's a kind of a hallmark of um crps which is really, um, if you think about it, it's one of the most dramatic forms of TMS, but it's also um, so illustrative of, of, of TMS because it really, it reveals that this is the brain. Only the brain could create a mirror image out of uh, thin air, um, mm-hmm. since obviously I hadn't injured the other foot, you know, so, um, so, and, you know, eventually my, it went to both knees 
And then at my worst, um, it, it went full body. And, um, as you probably know, um, I don't know, you know, it's not a well-known label, but it's becoming more in vogue lately. Um, and the, at the time, actually, when I, uh, well, actually, let me just back up and describe the, the symptoms. Um, so I had um, agonizing, stabbing, burning sensations. My, all my bones felt broken, um, you know, ner- neuropathy. There's, there's actually a criteria that they use for CRPS. Um, it's called the Budapest protocol. I don't want to bore you, but it's, it just, um, when they diagnose it, they look at things like they look at four categories, um, sensory, which would include like allodynia or hyperalgesia or amplified pain. There's also vascular changes that happen. So there you see, um, um, actual alterations in the physiology. So for example, I had extreme color changes, temperature changes, um, I had swelling and I even had bone marrow edema that could be seen on the MRI. I had bone marrow edema in every toe of both feet. It was really bizarre. Um, Isn't it just, that's just phenomenal what the brain can do. Like, yes. I mean, <laughs> if this, if this doesn't illustrate it, I don't know what does because um, the brain can create any sensation under the sun, literally anything, including blindness, including paralysis. And, you know, the the big clue was um, they they recognized this during the civil war with soldiers who who had phantom limb syndrome. They called it phantom, they called it causalgia back then in the 1800s when they first discussed, and you know, unfortunately in the civil war, there were so many amputations. Um, it was really horrific, and they realized, they, you know, these these poor um, soldiers are still having pain in the, a limb that is no longer there. The body tissue is no longer there, but yet the pain persists. Why mm-hmm. is that? And it's the brain, and it's it's interesting that you know medicine and 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 um, science has known about this for, for, for age, you know, for, for centuries, but yet, um, and we know that the the role of the brain, but yet there's the clinical, um, practices are still incredibly outdated when it comes to this label. I mean, it's, it's, it's the brain, but yet the treatments are still uh, (laughs) body-based. Yes, exactly. They're still incredibly outmoded. And and to be honest with you, it's the, the, the treatments are barbaric at best. They they have they offer pain management or um, drugs, but I will also hear of people to this day in 2022 getting amputations. And the fact that there are physicians willing to mm-hmm. perform this and there are people willing to do this is is beyond horrifying. I mean, yeah, it horrifies I me often, to my core. As I say, I often sit there and think about all the people I know who've had surgeries that are just unnecessary. Oh, and yes, absolutely. Everything they go through, it's like, oh, if only I, you know, if only. But it's just, yes, you're right. Yeah. When you it's, say the you treatments, know, the, when you say the barbaric. treatments are barbaric. Sorry, you go. <laughs> if you go to a surgeon, you know, the, those are mechanics, essentially. It's completely biomechanical and they're only specialized mm-hmm. one tiny part and they're only you know the doc physicians work in silos and I could I could go in a whole tangent on that topic but 
in any case, um, in, in my case, so I, I had all of these, you know, um, agonizing um, uh, symptoms. And, and of course, it also affected my mobility. I had, I, I had mobility issues because the fear was so intense. And throughout that time, unfortunately, it took me six months just to obtain the CRPS label, the diagnosis. And at the time yeah. it was called RSD back then they called it, this was in 2013 and they were still using reflex sympath, reflex sympathetic dystrophy as the label. Now it's called complex regional pain syndrome. Um, so during that, those six months, I was misdiagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. I was mis- I went down the Lyme disease rabbit hole and I could you know, I could, I could spend an hour just talking about that crazy um, rabbit <laughs> hole that I went down. It was, it was just awful. Um, and, and so finally I was bestowed this lovely label of CRPS by a, a neurologist. Um, and, you know, you know, you're in trouble when the doctors refer you to neurologists that I always think that's kind of like the last stop on the, oh. um, brain line because that's when they really don't know. And then you're looking at, you're just, you're really looking at pain management and drugs and they just give you a say, the, on, the only thing neurologists ever have to offer you, offer you is like scripts or, or injections or like. Yes. Which, <laughs> yes. And, they, and, and then they'll say, oh, you know, and yes, we'll get into that more or they might even, if they're really quote cutting edge, they might recommend, um, you know, try some therapy or biofeedback or acupuncture, you know, they just throw mm. all the spaghetti against the wall and they're just like, here, try this. And then they, they, they hand you a brochure that's, that has written on it, you know, incurable neurological disease, have a nice day. And yes, yes, I, I, got, I have <laughs> one of those brochures myself. So. I mean, I, I walked out of the building. I was like, I'm going to, drive into a tree now because I, I was like what am I supposed to do it was it was it's the most you know it's just the most uh, you know I, I don't even have the word to describe the feeling just you're in a void yes. of despair essentially and so you know so during so during my desperate uh my desperation I tried all of these crazy treatments in both the medical world and in the alternative world so I tried um you know, of course I tried drugs. I tried nerve blocks. I tried Calmari therapy, which is also called uh, scrambler therapy. Um, I tried, I, w- I flew to Italy to have bisphosphonate infusions, which is something they use for bone cancer. Um, and they were trying it off label for this, for CRPS. I also tried, um, a high dose protocol of ketamine, which was which by the way, I, I, I have, I think I have more PTSD and more trauma just from the, the treatments and the medicalization and the ketamine. I mean, and the ketamine alone cr- caused more trauma and PTSD, which, which perpetuates the, which of course puts your brain into more fight or flight. More so it actually amplifies, yeah, it amplifies the situation. And so the, you know, in the, um, I guess you could say that in the depth, the depths of my hell and, and my, you know, dark night of the soul was, um, during the summer of, uh, 2014. And I was, I was bedridden. I could barely walk. I could barely get to the bathroom. I had to use a wheelchair. I, I had really lost the will to live at that point. And I was scouring the, the TMS literature 
and I really couldn't find anything on RSD at the time. There was a, there was one anecdote in uh, the mind body prescription by Sarno, but it, it didn't remotely resemble what I was, um, what I was experiencing. So fortunately I, I called Dr. Howard Schubner <laughs> and, and he, he was kind enough to return my call. And I, I was, I'm so grateful because um, in, in a sense, Dr. Schubner saved my life because he confirmed to me that CRPS is just, a, it's, it's more dramatic maybe than, than other forms of mind body, but it's still, it's still mind body. It's still, the genesis is still the brain. And, um, and, you know, my brain had just become sensitized from confusion and fear. And it had also was serving as one giant defense mechanism, which is really at its core. What is TMS? What is mind body? It's, it's a defense mechanism. It's a defense, it's, yeah. Yeah. It's the unrecognized defense. And, and, and unfortunately in psychology, you know, we, we all know about projection and denial and sublimation and all those other defenses, but, but the mind body uh, experience has not yet been recognized in the field of psychology as, as, as probably the most common defense there is. It's the most common, it's the most socially acceptable, it's the most um, um, norm, I mean, well, they're all normal, but it's, it's so normal. We really need to normalize it. You know, yeah, um, I, I tend to think that it's part of the human condition. It is. I completely agree. It's part, it is part of how we are designed mm-hmm. and we need to really uh, depathologize it and destigmatize it. But of course that's a whole other topic, but um, <laughs> I think we could go off on so many tangents here, we but, <laughs> but basically, you know, what, once Dr. Schumer confirmed that to me, and I, re- I only spoke to him for, for not more than two minutes. It was a very brief conversation because th- I only needed, I-, I just needed that, that gold star, if you will, that stamp of validation that this was my brain. That's all I needed to know. Mm. And by it's knowing really, that, yeah. it's really interesting there. Cause I think that's so common that you need the, I need to find someone whose symptoms are exactly the same as mine. Something that resembles <laughs> me to confirm yes. that my symptoms are TMS. And I went through that. I know I went through that over and over and over again. I need to know that what I'm experiencing is TMS. So that's one of the challenges I think it's really common. Yes, yes. And sometimes having an MD, in my case, it was, it meant the world to me because having somebody as, well, first of all, I, I hold high, Dr. Schumer in such high regard anyway. But me having too. An, yes, he's just such a wonderful, caring yes. Yeah. compassionate doctor. Um, and he, he, um, he's an MD. And so when, by hearing that, I thought, okay, I don't know how I'm going to get better. I don't know how long it's going to take me, but I felt such tremendous relief because I knew that I was going to turn that battleship around and that I would get better. And I was no longer terrorized or intimidated by the symptoms or the label the the label had completely lost its power at that point I I I saw I saw it for what it was and I saw the symptoms for what they were which were can I ask you you a quick question yeah yeah sure before before you know reaching that point where you knew what the symptoms were you knew you were going to get better how did you feel about your your body like how did 
all those diagnoses, all those labels, all those. Oh, how did you feel? I felt, oh my gosh, where do I begin? I felt that my body had betrayed me. I felt that I couldn't trust my body. I felt that, of course, I felt I was broken. I was damaged. I was, I was incurable. I mean, they call CRPS the suicide disease. So when you hear things like that, I felt doomed. I felt that I had been given a death sentence and I was living in a schism because when you are afraid of your body and you're not, don't feel safe in your own body, you're living in a schism and you're living in this utter disconnect essentially. And so, yes, I felt that my body had betrayed me. Um, but ironically, um, my body had not, been, my body was empathizing with me and my body was trying to express things to me and my body was actually on my side. And so was my brain. My brain was trying to protect me and my brain was trying to distract me and my, you know, it, it, what it, it, it wasn't, it hadn't betrayed me, but at the time before I real, before I knew that it was a mind body thing and that it was a TMS scenario. And I thought I had this hideous disease. I just felt like a victim. You know, I felt like a, a victim whose body had betrayed her. And I, yes, I felt that um, somehow I was being punished, you know, but ironically, um, even there, there's a psychological basis for that. I was punishing myself without realizing it. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's really the, you know, what was driving the symptoms. I mean, it's so everything I thought was actually the opposite I learned later on, you know, um, everything I thought about myself and my body and um, all the beliefs I had about myself and the world and my body, they were mostly false beliefs that stemmed from, um, you know, conditioning and, and different areas of my life. You know, we, we, all, we all collect these false and limiting beliefs as we grow up and as we, as we, um, um, are, are absorb the things in society, you know, and messages that we're given, whether it's by the media or by the medical system or by our family or by our culture, or by our education or religion, you know, we, we, we become conditioned and we don't realize how many of our false beliefs have really become our prison of, of the mind in a sense. So, um, yeah, so I kind of went off on a tangent there, but, but, um, that's how I felt about before I knew, but, but once I knew that it was just my brain, I realized that these symptoms, I had nothing to fear anymore, that they were really just me telling me about myself. And so by losing the fear and cutting, you know, fear is the fuel for symptoms. By losing the fear, I was cutting off the fuel source. And so the symptoms began to dissipate. And I think, um, I would say immediately after speaking to Dr. Schubner, um, my relationship to my symptoms was it was as if somebody had flipped a switch. I saw them Mm. completely differently. I know, you know, they no longer, I took my power back essentially because um, I knew that I was creating them and I could uncreate them. So I felt 
incredibly empowered, although it was daunting. I mean, it's a daunting task to tell yourself, I, I have to take responsibility to get better. That's a bit daunting, but I was so thrilled and it was so empowering that I didn't have to depend on, you know, um, I didn't have to depend on other people or things outside of myself to, to quote, fix me anymore. That, that yeah, there was really nothing wrong with me. I yeah. So yeah. As I was say, you've just summed up the core of this work. It's both empowering in that right. for the first time in your life, you can take control of what's happening, but also that's very daunting. I think you summed it up with those two words. <laughs> yes, it, it is. But, you know, it was funny. I, I, um, I was happy to, I, I knew I had to take responsibility and I was happy to do so mm. because I knew that I would never get, that nobody outside of me was going to come save me or fix me, nothing. I knew that, that there were no answers out there in the world and that it was going to be up to me. And so in a way it was freeing in a way. And I was happy to take that responsibility. And I guess because I had done it before, I, I knew, okay, I might have more work to do, but I've done this before. I've been, I've been down this rodeo before. And so I'll, do it again, you know, somehow, some, somewhere. And I, I didn't put pressure on myself. I didn't put any timeline or, you know, I didn't, um, I knew better. So I, I, um, it was, you know, it was a long road and I, I did have a, in my case, there was a lot of work to be done, but, mm-hmm. um, but I guess I had that inner knowing and that core belief that I was going to get better. And I think that's, that's very important that, that one, you know, as Dr. Sarno always said, embrace the diagnosis and believe in yourself that you, you have the ability to, you know, we have the ability to heal just as we can worry ourselves sick. We can also, (laughs) we can think ourselves well. So, um, Oh, I like that one. Yeah. (laughs) Think ourselves well. (laughs) Yes. Or, or you could even put it as, um, just as you can, you know, if you think of what is the most contagious disease on earth, it's fear. fear. So yes. if you can catch fear, you can catch belief, right? So mm. that's how I like to think of it. Um, it's true though, particularly when it's a long road, you really have to believe. So easy to yeah. give up. Otherwise. Yes, yes. It, 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 it can be really challenging because um, it requires so much. It's a, it is a process and you have to be process oriented and not attached to outcomes. And so it requires a lot of patience and um, persistence and stick to itness. And you kind of have to keep your eyes on the prize, you know, like realizing that you're not going to, your your future reality isn't going to manifest right away the way you want it to, <laughs> but you have to stay <laughs> you know, you have to stay there. It's kind of like, I always compare it to learning how to play the piano. If you have, say you have no, like myself, I have no aptitude for the piano, but yet I enjoy playing it. But if I have to learn a new song, I'm going to have to practice it a million times until it becomes effortless because I'm going to keep hitting wrong notes over and over. It doesn't come naturally to me. Now, is it, is it a mystical thing? No. Is it, is it impossible? No, it's doable. It just requires practice and patience. It, you know, I don't have to be Vladimir Horowitz to learn a song. I just, I know the notes. And if I keep 
practicing, eventually I'll be able to do it. And it's the same thing with uh, TMS recovery. It's practice and patience. And um, I had actually written a list of, um, you know, if you're, if you're embarking on this or you're wondering, you know, how, how the heck am I going to do this? You know, I've always, I always kind of recommend you have a certain, certain ingredients uh, before you begin <laughs> to set you up for success. And it would be, you know, number one, accept the diagnosis, stop all doctor shopping, stop yeah. all treatments, all, you know, all the alternative, you know, all the, um, because people can get really caught up in a lot of, um, things. And so you kind of have to cease all of that. And, and I think it, it often just takes one doctor as well to plant that seed of doubt back in your mind. Oh, maybe it is my body. Maybe it is. Yes. Yes. So really that, gotta... that, that doubt, you know, that, that subject of doubt, that's a killer because if, if a doctor had said something to you or given you a label, I call it medical hexing. <laughs> It's like, it's like, it is buy into that dogma of the doctor and you give the, the, the physician all that power as if, as if they're some kind of prophet or Oracle, you know, or as if they're God um, and you make them a religion and you make it a church. If you do that, you're really um, keeping yourself, you're, you're in a sense, you're becoming a victim of the medical system. And so my advice is to don't fall don't buy into the label don't buy into to some random theory that a, f- a physician tells you um don't let anybody tell you that you're 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 broken or you have something you need to cope with for the rest of your life or you have some kind of um you know incurable disease don't because there are a lot of these in vogue labels now uh, it's getting really bad um you know so many of them yeah I mean I keep hearing new ones lately like central sensitization and it's all nonsense for a while Lyme disease was very trendy um fibromyalgia before that fibromyalgia was trendy Uh, yeah I think fibromyalgia is still trending and you know in America chronic fatigue fatigue. we we have I don't know about us probably not in Australia but here we have big uh, the pharmaceutical companies um, advertise drugs on our mainstream media outlets on television. We have advertisements. So there's a lot of incentive to tout these labels because there's a billion dollar industry behind it. And if you follow the money trail and you follow these, you know, the sacred cows of surgery, drugs, uh, injections, um, what other sacred cows are there? I'm sure I'm forgetting something, but it's all profit driven. And 70% of our media is subsidized by pharmaceutical companies, which is really shocking. And it's a true, it's a true statistic. Um, it's, it's absolutely shocking. So um, yeah, I do, I do remember when I went to the USA, all the yes advertisements for drugs and I the one thing that stood out to me though is that this drug will treat this and then in the like the really fine print all the side effects it oh, can yeah, give you yeah. as well they show it's like this like... woman like gardening or skipping through a meadow and they're like um side effects may include heart you yeah. know heart disease fainting dizziness <laughs> weight gain 
um, you know, your penis will fall off. I'm just thinking, you know, your, uh, you will, you know, men can grow breasts and um, heart attack, you know, blood clots and death. And, and then they, they say it so cheerfully, but really yes. quickly. And then you have the juxtaposition of somebody frolicking in, in a meadow. And it's just, you know, it's so, it's so laughable. Um, and unfortunately, I think our healthcare system and when it comes to the subject of chronic pain and, and mind-body conditions, they have made buffoons out of themselves. It's, it's you know, really. Yeah. Um, and, and you, you, don't, know, unfortunately, you, don't actually, you don't actually make money by getting people well. No, absolutely. There's no incentive. There's no, um, there, it's not in their interest to tell people, you know, this, this, you're, there's actually nothing wrong with you and you can get better. And unfortunately you have to even be wary of a lot of these, um, um, organizations, um, even these not, even these organizations that supposedly want to spread awareness or ask for donations for these labels, be very wary of those types of things as well, because they also don't, they're not, um, many of them are not open to the, the, the mind body approach not at and, all. and they can be really toxic and they have a, a lot of these support groups and these message, uh, these forums and message boards are incredibly toxic. These support groups. So I, I think, you know, um, friends, yeah, I think what happens in those support groups is people's identities become so wrapped up in, yes. in the label and you know, I've been given this lifelong incurable disease and it becomes such a part of who they are that it's really difficult to yes, challenge exactly. that. It's, it's tragic. It's so tragic. And, and they, you know, the medical industry creates so much iatrogenic suffering with these, mm. this label and these, the reason I, you know, eschew, eschew labels in general is because they create the nocebo effect. Um, they do. And they victimize people. And, you know, to me, in my mind, the only human pathology is victimhood. And so if you accept that label and you identify that with that label, you are colluding with the medical industry. And I use the word industry very pointedly because it's an industry. Make no mistake. It's an industry. And um, it's, it's sad to say, you know, um, my, my, my father is he's a retired physician. And so I always had this, you know, um, view of physicians as, as these benevolent caring people. And I'm sure there, you know, there still are, and there are still, there are many physicians who are very well intended and they really truly do want to help these patients with chronic pain. Yeah. But they I actually they don't have the training. As I say, I actually feel sorry in many ways yes. for them and they're so trapped in their worldview but I can't imagine what it would be like to day in, day out, see these people that you actually yes. can't help. Like and it would when be you want so, to help them. Yeah. Yeah. So, so if it's a pain management situation, that's different because they're racking up money hand over fist. Like they, we have ketamine clinics and I don't know, maybe in Australia they do as well, but we have these places where these ketamine clinics that are making a killing, you know, it's fortunes. So they're not there. It's not in their interest to help people, but many of the, um, especially like general internists, not the super specialized physicians, but more of the general practitioners. I think most of them really do want to help their, I mean, mm. I, I, 
and, and I think the problem is they don't know how to help them. And yeah. this is where the onus lies on the field of psychology and psychotherapy. This is where psychotherapy is missing the boat. And I can go off on a whole tangent on that as well, because I could too, I could too. I'm, as I said, I'm studying psychology and it's still in my head. Yeah. So. Oh yeah. You're, like... you're, you're studying for a doctorate, correct? Um, no, I have my doctor in education, oh, but I'm okay. studying my master's. So. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, wow. That's so impressive. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I think that in order for us to have a paradigm shift, it is going to depend on the field of psychotherapy. And we're going to have to approach those physicians in, in, the, in the mainstream medical model and let them know, hey, we can help your patients. We can work together. And, you know, and, and I know Dr. Schubner is working with insurance companies and he's working with, there are many um, physicians in this field, in the mind-body field who are now really endeavoring to, uh, to collaborate with, with, the, 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 with you know, um, traditional physicians. But um, I think that, yes, the psychotherapy, unfortunately, you know, typical CBT and, 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 yes, and things yes. are insurance covered. <laughs> it's a coping model. It's the premise is how, you know, you had this unfortunate event sucks for you. How can we help you cope? And, you know, this idea of, 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 of managing, I, I, I'm, I have such an aversion to that because I can't even manage a check checkbook and you expect me to manage agonizing, excruciating, horrifying pain day in and day out. Like how, as I remember though, as a patient, um, we don't have like, it's not the same. The medical industry obviously isn't the same. It's nowhere near as extreme here in Australia, but there is a lot of incentive for doctors to give out the labels and things like that because you can't yes. get in to see a specialist unless you have a label. You can't get in That's to see a psychologist true. unless you have a label. Like you need a label to get in to see the special doctors and things like that. But you wait, right? You wait at least like six months most of the time sometimes even more to get into you wait that long you get in and then they sit there and tell you I'm here to help you manage it it's like no exactly exactly. so like defeating it's yeah absolutely and it's so demotivating as well because what who in the who on earth is going to be motivated to cope that it's not it's, it's dispiriting and demotivating and um I think that um Yes, I think some doctors sincerely do want to alleviate suffering and others are in the business of surgery and, and, and ketamine. And so it really depends. But I think these, um, the, yes, these, these diagnostic labels are a, a, a tremendous problem in society. I think yes. that, um, I think that apart from creating a nocebo effect um there's they keep coming up with new ones to to to, to, you know categorize people and there are all these dubious ones like um as i mentioned um chronic lyme or epstein-barr or viruses or multiple chemical sensitivities or um peripheral yeah. neuropathy which is you know if that's a symptom that's not an actual disease or pelvic floor dysfunction or all of these things and they don't benefit anyone they just they put, they, more, they they no put more fear into you exactly they 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 spread fear um you just watch so you watch people as well 
because I have a few friends who I've been trying to like you just gently hint like I could help you right, right. properly you- but you know until people are ready to ready to explore their mind body world you, you can't do anything more than that I think it takes a certain readiness on their part but I have friends and they just keep getting more and more and more labels. It's like first it's yes, yes. this and then it's that and then it's this and now it's my pelvic floor and now I have IBS and now I have, you <laughs> right. know, and it's, and like, it's oh. tragic because they become a constellation of symptoms and they lose the, the sense of who they are. And then they, they the scary part is we have uh, clubs of, people like they wear t-shirts fibro warrior yes warrior and then it's like oh I belong to this you know I I don't know about you but I would never want that's not the club I want to be part of you know count me out of that club and so So that's one of my big tips is stop talking about your pain right now if you're doing it stop talking about it get it stop having it be a part of who you are I think that's really important to recovery I, I, could, I could not agree more because you are not your symptoms and your symptoms are temporary and reversible and we can't give them legs. The more we, the more we, we enumerate them and describe them and regale people with them, the more we're glorifying them and exalting them and we're worshiping at the altar of these symptoms. And then, you know, it's just, it's, it's really, um, we're giving it much too much power and, um, we're, it's dehumanizing at the end of the day. And it also keeps um, those pathways in your brain firing and active and focused on it. And absolutely, absolutely. Um, and so I think, you know, I think we have to depathologize um, all of this, all of these chronic pain scenarios, and we have to really view it as as the human condition, um, as you mentioned before, <laughs> and um, and you know just and even that idea in CR, in the CRPS world, they use they throw around the word remission a lot, which is another myth. Um, <laughs> and I always joke, there's no remission for the human condition Condition. so it's like you know um and yeah there's so many you know there's so many things propagated uh not just by the medical industry but but by the media in general um and also this um myth of um that human beings are somehow really fragile um that that we're like faberge eggs or that we're you know it's as if the label wants to convince you or, or the doubt in your mind wants to convince you that you're this pathetic weakling who can't, you know, that can't type more than, you know, this idea that typing on a computer, for example, causes issues. It's really silly because people decades ago used to type on those manual typewriters for, and they never had problems. So it, well, that you know, bending so- down to pick up your kid can ruin your right (laughs) right this is so um it's so silly in the face of evolution if you if you that's the thing whenever the medical world or the media comes up with these ridiculous theories in the face of evolution it's always um uh it 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 doesn't hold any water It, it it's like 
it, it smacks in the face of re- evolution. And you cannot argue with evolution. <laughs> you know, it's the one thing you can't argue with. We also have a, I think we also have this idea that aging is really painful. Oh, and yes, yes. The amount of people myth. who are like, yes. I'm just old, I'm just getting old, I have degeneration, I have arthritis, I have this, I have that. And it's like, no, like, right. How, how come? Right. Like all the other people your age who have arthritis and degeneration and stuff don't have pain. Why do you and all those other people yes. don't? Aging doesn't necessarily correlate with pain. No. And in fact, they find the highest um, reports of pain syndromes and, and back problems in b- between the ages of 35 and 65. Or I, I would I would argue like 40s and 50s, you see this the most. Yeah, I think it's 40s and 50s. Yeah. Yeah, because it's the age of responsibility. Yeah. And it's when we have more uh, stressors and more pressures and more, um, you know, we're um, subject to more, yeah, just more responsibilities and more. Uh, possibly we're, we're viewing our life differently. We're starting to take stock of our life when we reach a mid midpoint, mid, mid, you know, the middle of the road, like in Dante's Inferno when, <laughs> when the character hits the middle of the road, he talks about that. So I think there is something, you know, about being middle-aged that is inherently stressful, stressful, um, yeah. psychologically and emotionally. And, um, so yes, there are so many myths. Um, you know, uh, the the myth of the gold standard, and when in clinical care, when they say, "Oh, this is the gold standard. This is what we use for CRPS, ketamine." You know, it's like they're always behind the, the 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 neuroscience research. They're always way way behind. Um, and I just cringe when things pop up on my YouTube. Uh, algorithm um for you know latest treatments and CRPS I'm like this is they're like living in the in the dark ages it's medieval times um and it's just so appalling to me because despite all the re- it's not because of the research it's despite the research they're practicing the way they're practicing yeah we have it's some incredible. really we have some really strong studies now in terms of the mind body treatments and and gold, yes. so-called gold standard studies, randomized control trials, which show that they're more effective than business as usual. So how the medical system would treat you as usual. They're more effective than CBT. They are the most effective treatments. So- oh, yes. There's no, there's no comparison. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's the difference between reclaiming your life and and not, and, and being dependent on, and being, staying a victim really, um, and being dependent on something outside of yourself. So yes, it, so yes, that once again, that, that speaks to the paradigm that needs to shift. Um, and we are, I mean, we are on the cusp of a paradigm shift, but unfortunately paradigm shifts can take a very long, a very very long time very long time it's like people used to think the earth was flat or that germ you know the guy that uh, discovered germs he was ridiculed and and it's like that quote um by schopenhauer all truth passes through three stages first it is 
violently opposed. Second, it is ridiculed. And third, it is accepted as self-evident. Yeah. You know? And so I think um, it, society, it's, you know what it is? It comes down to, once again, the belief systems. We have these collective societal beliefs. So it's almost like a consensus or, or, or a societal agreement that, you know, back pain is from a herniated disc. You know, we, we have these, you know, or the weather. I mean, if you go to Italy, they have a lot of beliefs about the weather. Or if they have this thing called a hit of air, if the air hits your neck, if, if a breeze hits you, you can get the cervical, which you have pain in your neck. <laughs> like they have these mm. beliefs so ingrained and so embedded into their culture and their con collective consciousness that it becomes truth. And so these, um, so basically um, the mind-body experience hides behind, it's, it, it's, disgui it's disguised as a label, right? So, so I think that um, we have to really give a hard look at our beliefs and our, even our collective beliefs. <laughs> um, and, yeah. you know, yeah. I think it all stems back to this idea that I th it might even go all the way back to like the enlightenment, so-called enlightenment, yeah. where we became really rational beings who really privileged our brains and our minds and our bodies became something we had to control and tame and kind of reject and, you know, the idea of. Right, right. And so, there was and so the there's dual, this separation. Dual. Yeah, the dualism, yeah. the separation. And then from there, yeah. the body became feared and something. That's true. There was this this um, disconnect, this, um, which is really sad how we became so, dis you know, for thousands of years that people all over the world in various cultures and various philosophies and w they knew these, these were common sense things that people knew that the mind and body were one, <laughs> right? Yes. You know, if, you, if you read Hippocrates or any of those stoic dudes, they all knew this. This was all um, um, evident, self-evident. But then we lost that along the way. And then it re things really got bad with the rise of technology, um, especially in Western medicine in the 50s and 60s with the, all these scanning machines and, and scans, although they're wonderful and they can really find things like tumors and catastrophic things. They also created more disconnect. And um, we, yes, we, 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 people started to worship their own inventions. And, and pieces of metal instead of, you know, they lost sight of common sense. I always, I'm always struck by like literature. Like um, I'm one of those, I love Jane Austen. And mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm one of those like Jane Austen geeks and, um, you know, Tolstoy and all, all the famous novelists. If you look at their novels, they, they really make the link between emotions and the bodies. There's so many characters that, that die of broken hearts or, um, you know, emotions are really um, uh, so central to literature and, 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 and music and art. If you look at uh, centuries of art and humanities, it's, emotions are so central and we lost that with technology. So even, even um, the Victorians, they had like the language of flowers and every flower symbolized an emotion <laughs> you know you could write a whole 
love letter with a bouquet basically so. <laughs> that's so nice now all we have is yeah. like emojis like emotion <laughs> charts and you lose the tone and you lose you know you lose all the nuances and yeah I think that's what happened we we we, we got into this mechan we saw the world through a mechanistic lens and then medicine became more and more specialized and the more specialized we became the more separated we became from the mind and the psyche and yeah and, and the, the whole is more than the sum of its parts so you can't yes all those yes, little parts don't ever look at the whole which is more than all those parts it's so true yes yeah so um yeah I mean it's there's so much to um talk about in terms of paradigms I mean, even even within the mind body field there's it can be overwhelming <laughs> even even yeah. within right because um we have so many resources now um which is wonderful but that can also be bewildering for somebody who is starting out in their mind body journey and they you know they're trying to reverse whatever they're dealing with so i've just paused Rita there because it seemed like a good place to stop when i was doing some editing putting together this episode as i said at the start we spoke for almost two hours so you'll get the rest of this conversation in a fortnight's time so thanks for listening and i will see you then